21 minutes it is to 4 o'clock. I wasn't sure there would be a plan B this afternoon. I wasn't sure there would be a plan B ever again. I wasn't (laughs) sure if Rebecca Davis was going to make it out of the clutches of the Nigerians. But you did. Welcome back. Thank you, John. It's It's good to be home. You were there on some sort of journalistic exercise. I was. I was in Lagos for a week as part of... Uh, the uh, well, it's a sort of pan-continental initiative called the African Media Initiative, which gets a lot of funding from, among others, the Gates Foundation. But the idea is to try and promote good African storytelling. And I mean, what is Lagos like? Is it as completely insane and chaotic as everything I've ever read and heard suggests it is? Mm-mm. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, I think, John. It's. It, I mean, it's a fascinating place. You. You, you, you fail to take Nigeria seriously at your peril, you know. One in four Africans is a Nigerian and it's going to grow. I think I started sort of making sense of, of the place when a Nigerian colleague explained, you know, look, you have a country of almost 170 million people. To get anywhere, you just you have to hustle, you know. You have to be quick, you have to scheme, you have to do whatever it takes to get that edge which is why we do have this country of, you know, people who will do what it takes, a nation of terrible queue jumpers, for one thing. I mean, I don't know how English people, British people, would cope with their, with their queue jumping ways, because even for South Africans, it's, but that's, that's, it's uh, unnerving. Look, I haven't been to Nigeria, but I have been to other countries in West Africa, and the, the mm. notion of queuing orderly at an airport in order <laughs> to present your ticket to get a boarding pass, uh-uh, that's not the way it works. It can be, it, it can be a little infuriating, I must say, if you're, if you're unused to it. I mean, if you fly over Lagos, you just see the difficulties that that government must face to try and provide any kind of orderly services because it is just this sprawling mess. And I mean, we've been talking about driving today, John. My goodness me, driving on those roads is absolutely nerve shattering. I mean, not that I did it myself, thank goodness, but even being a passenger, it is just sort of this lawlessness that seems to somehow work. But the traffic is so terrible, of course, notoriously so. I mean, it can take you up to four hours to get to the airport, so much so that there's apparently a specialised um, helicopter taxi service for the rich who just will not face that, that road. They will get in a taxi if they have to, a uh, helicopter if they have to go to the airport. I mean, that's how congested it is when you're dealing with a city of 21 million people. I mean, that is just... A city a of huge, 21 million people. That's the, the upwards estimate of what Lagos is, is trying to deal with there. I mean, you don't become an ex- expert on Nigeria in a week, but you will have spoken to quite a lot of people. And so there is this acknowledgement that Nigerians are, well, hustle, I suppose, is a, is a kind way of putting mm. it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you see it everywhere, John. I was astonished to see as you drive through Lagos, houses which have painted on them, this house is not for sale, beware 419. So it's clearly a very common scam that people will sell someone else's house and you'll rock up and, you know, that is very much the case. So it's sort of, it's sort of in your face. Tourists are continuously warned against accepting taxis about basically going anywhere without Nigerians. In fact, we had the, the, um, the essence scared out of us on the, on the airplane, John. In fact, by an SAA air stewardess who told us that um, on one of their last trips they were attempted kidnapped in their bus on the way between just between the airport and the hotel and ever since then they've had to have armed escorts things do seem to be getting a little better and I did find actually the security the security claims overblown once I was there people really warned me they were like keep your passport in your panties at all times (laughs) never never let any money be shown and it really didn't seem it didn't seem that bad to me okay and the state of um, are there a lot of papers in Lagos, a lot of radio stations, television stations saying things which could be critical of the government? 
I didn't get a good I didn't get a good a good sense of that at all. Their TV station seemed extremely obsequious, from what I could tell, and certainly on more than one of their news programs, the um, innovation of the auto queue has not yet arrived. So there's a lot of page reading. Um, obviously, good luck, Jonathan's in Davos this week, sort of bigging up Nigeria on the global stage. A lot of talk about how Nigeria is going to take over from South Africa soon, economy-wise. So, I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting place, John. It really is a fascinating place. One of the most interesting places I went actually was this. Um, it's famous, apparently. Lagos' floating slum, Makoko. I don't know if you've seen pictures of it, but if you Google it, it's just surreal, Makoko. They call it the Venice of Africa. And in some ways, it's not dissimilar to any other African township I've ever been in, except that it is all on water. I mean, you just look over this place and all the shacks are on stilts in the water and all the residents punt these three-meter boats, men, women, and tiny children, just like Venetian gondoliers. It's the most astonishing thing. And terrible sanitation because waste just runs into the water. It's essentially a township built on raw sewerage. But an incredible place to visit and a photographer's dream. Yeah, um, the Naked Scientist was reading this morning. Somebody asked a question about, um, do you get used to a bad smell? And he said, yes, because uh, your olfactory system shuts down. So (laughs) what seems completely and utterly unacceptably redolent um, Mm. for a while just becomes kind of background noise to the people who are confronted with it on a a daily basis. So you didn't talk much about media freedom there. It was interesting to me that we were there as a group of 20 journalists and they, the government sent officials from Abuja to register us, like we had to be registered as journalists, which is not uncommon for African countries, even in our neighboring Namibia. I believe you have to do it. But I was reminded, John, of actually comparatively how lucky we are in South Africa in this regard. And I know we talk a lot about the threat of the Protection of State Information Bill, but just to spend a week with 20 journalists from across the continent made me think that we have it pretty damn lucky here. I mean, I was with a, a, a journalist from the Gambia who had his house burnt down and is now exiled from the Gambia just for writing a a, uh, an article which was critical of the government and many of the other colleagues had other stories to tell about being either threatened or arrested in their countries so you know we do tend to bitch a lot about you know possible or hypothetical threats to media freedom and I'm not saying we shouldn't be on our guard but I really think a bit of perspective for me was very healthy in this respect One of the threats to media freedom which is being talked about as a possibility here is somebody who is ANC in his heart and soul, Dr. Iqbal Survey, taking over the independent newspaper group and a senior journalist, the Cape Town Bureau Chief of um, the Cape Times, Donald Presley, has been suspended. This is according to independent newspapers for allegedly applying to be on a political party's list of parliamentary candidates for the general election and that's the Democratic Alliance. Karima Brown, the group executive editor, saying in a statement earlier today Day. It's come to independence attention that Mr. Presley has recently sought elected political office with a political party by applying to the said party's electoral college to be on its list of candidates for parliament during the 2014 general elections. Mr. Presley did this without informing his editor and while continuing to write news as well as opinion and analysis on the said political party without declaring his political intentions to our readers. I'm sorry, but you need to know this is background. Donald Presley says, speak to my lawyer. His lawyer is Michael Bagram and Michael Bagram says he, Presley, has admitted to belonging to the Democratic Alliance. He's not hiding the fact he has been honest. As citizens, most of us should belong to political parties. That's good citizenship. I'm not sure that it is good citizenship to belong to a political party. I'm not sure if it's good journalistic practice to be 
running for office, certainly. I mean, if it is true that, that Presley was putting himself on the lists for election, then I actually think some measure of disciplinary action is right and proper. I do not think you can run for political office and be a journalist who routinely turns out opinion and analysis, as Presley, I believe, does. I mean, that seems to me to be a fundamental conflict of interests. Um, Sanaf, the South African National Editors Forum, said in August last year that once the name of a journalist appears with his or her consent on a political party's official list of candidates to the Independent Electoral Commission, such journalists should resign his or her position as a journalist. So they're saying, Sanaf is saying, it's all right to apply. The minute that you are mm. accepted, that is when the resignation must take place. I see, and we don't know if Prezi has been. He obviously well, the, the, yet, the, right. the, uh, the announcement about the candidates is being made on Monday. ANC and DA are telling us about the electoral lists. Of course. I, mean, I, I don't know what you think, but my, my feeling is as strong as journalists shouldn't be members of political parties at all. I think once you move into the media, whatever your political inclinations, we all have them, you should resign your membership of a political party. I tend to agree. I tend to agree, John. I don't know if you saw the spat that, that played out on the Daily Maverick website this week over the position of Gareth Van Onselen, which is an interesting one. Gareth Van Onselen, of course, was the DA spin doctor for a decade or so and now is a senior political reporter at the Sunday Times. And this caused the ANC spokesperson, Mulato Murtapo, to ask if we can treat him with any credibility in that role, even though he has left the party, just given that he nailed his colours so explicitly to this party for so many years. And the point Matapa made, which I actually had some sympathy for, was can you imagine the outcry if Keith Koza or Jackson Tembu was suddenly taken on by, say, the Sunday Times as a senior political reporter, and we were expected to swallow that they would do so in a perfectly objective way? I mean, I don't know what you think, John, but I think that there would be an absolute uproar from the chattering classes if that were to be the case yeah but i mean does that mean that you can never do anything but be a politician once you have been a politician because no, it and damns it, you mm. to supposed partisanship forever and a day that's true and in this country actually we do have an established revolving door between government and journalism and whether that should be the case is again sort of open to question someone like troy martins who was previously an ETV journalist who is now the spokesperson for um, basic education and for we know could go back to being a journalist. I mean, it's happened before in this country. I'm, I, I don't think it's a particularly desirable situation. Thank you very much, Rebecca Davis, and it's lovely to have you back in town. So, yeah, um, obviously Donald Presley is going to take legal action on this and uh, something else to do with independent newspapers. Terry Bell, yesterday on his website, he said that this is the column which would have been printed in Business Report tomorrow, Terry Bell's Inside Labour column, so has been for now many years, a regular appearer in the Friday edition of Business Report, and he said, I've been told my column has been discontinued. In today's Business Report, there is an editor's note from the Business Report editor, Ellis Mnyandu, saying, in view of a strategic overall of Business Report, which forms part of a wider strategic repositioning of independent newspapers, I have begun a review of all the material the Business Report acquires from contributors, including Terry. 
As part of this review, Terry's column has been suspended pending finalisation of Business Report's strategic plan. Business Report has communicated to Terry that it remains committed to enlist his expertise if and when the need arises. Here, hell freezes over. It is also important to note that contributors write for Business Report only at the editor's invitation. Um, Terry, I haven't seen the statement. Apparently, he has released a statement saying that he is going to challenge this. He is going to go to uh, the CCMA or um, the Labour Court. I'm not sure which forum, and say he has been unfairly treated. So, you know, I mean, what does this tell us after the firing of a leader Noir and all that sort of thing? What's happening with independent newspapers? And um, it's interesting times in the media indeed.